Georgia Dow is a therapist, but she's not your therapist. This show should not substitute a personal consultation with a professional. any time to myself to actually like do anything and then have to go to the office holiday party right after that oh so, no yeah I'm sorry yeah see i feel Oof. bad for for anyone who works at like bigger companies and has to go to those kinds of office parties because the office holiday parties that i've ever attended have all been incredible and ridiculous and uh, a lot of fun but it's always with like it's it's smaller groups of people and tiny companies where you end up being good friends with the people that you work with so every time i see like i don't know sitcoms that have these office parties i i I personally, like, I don't get those ones, and I, I feel bad that people actually do experience those, where it's like, ah, it's an obligation, instead of, I can't wait for the holiday party. Yeah, and, and well, it's it's funny, because where I work, it's not like, um, we, don't even, we don't even go to, like, any fancy place, it's just like, oh, well, we're going to have, like, fancy hors d'oeuvres in the cafeteria. And wait, it's in the building where you work? Yeah, it's in the building. Oh, uh, which is good and bad, right? Because the the bad part is that it's in the building. The good part is, well, I can just, you know, go back up to my cube, get my stuff and leave when really? I want to. And it's not like I'm driving to some other place in, in the city or something like that. So I'm not exactly like you wouldn't know it from me being on this show, but I'm not exactly the most uh, I, like social gatherings are not exactly what I consider to be fun. So it's like, you know, whenever I do, I have to do and Maybe maybe Georgia can therapize me or whatever that, <laughs> um, you know, why I have that problem. But it's just like I don't really I just want to like eat a eat a tiny beef Wellington and leave is basically what I want to do. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's it's just like, I don't know. I don't I, like I I see all these people all the time anyway. Like I I love the people I work with. Don't get me wrong. It's just like. I, I don't know, forced socialization just, it, it, you know, makes me, makes my heart sad. So I think that's like, that's where the problem is, is that for you, it, it feels like it's a forced thing. And yeah, if you ever are forcing yourself into something that you don't want to do, then you are likely not going to have fun doing it. Whereas like, I, like just comparing the differences between these two things for me, um, every year it's like, well, I need to make sure that I not not this year, of course, because I work for a different company now. But at the time, it's like I yeah, gotta and make I'm sure. listening. I'm listening, man. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Georgia. What holiday party are we doing? <laughs> See, I can the I can imagine country? like the I'm More holiday <laughs> party being like the event of the year. Like, oh, that. I'm sure it would be fun if we were all together. We don't do like holiday party. We do parties every once in a while, and they're amazing. Yeah, we don't right? really just do. We do do parties. We've done I'm More parties before, and they are sick. I, I can just imagine like taking everyone's taking pictures underwater and breaking each other's phones <laughs> and, uh, you know, jumping on mattresses and shooting each other with their, and, you know, I can, I can just imagine the chaos there. I think that would be, right. that right. would be more right. interesting. Right. At least interesting. But uh, does that sound, I don't know if that sounds like Steve. Is Steve a, a couch jumping uh, or, I mean, a mattress jumping phone thrower? Not really, but <laughs> like a I, I slur. Mean, I, I mean, I do, I do like to throw phones at people from time to time, but they're not usually mine. Usually, uh, gotcha. other people's. 
Uh, Georgia likes to throw Renee's phone. So what about yeah. you, Tanya? Yes. Have you, have you yeah. done any holiday parties? What are your opinions on the holiday <laughs> party? Um, well, previously, when I still had a, a go-to-the-office day job, we would have one at the university I worked at, and it was, like, in the biggest auditorium. And it was okay because, unlike a lot of people I know that worked at universities, we actually had booze. If yes. That's your, if that's your jam, but – it was okay, but it was kind of like, okay, so we get to basically still stay all day, even later, if you want to stay for the raffle. And you got free food, and you may or may not win a prize, but it was okay. <laughs> and a lot of people kind of skipped out on it, because like, all right, so I get a free beer, and I get food, and I still have to see the people I see every day in the same place I'm at every day. Mm-hmm. Previously, the the old boss, when I worked at a different university, would have something at his house. And that was just like, oh, God, we have to go all the way to your house. That Yeah, that's kind of, well, I, I guess it must have been like a nice house, right? Well, it was a nice house. We had a relatively small kind of office, but it was just like, but then it's the boss's house, and yeah. if you don't go, and you're not a yeah, team player. Yeah, that's true. And there's, there's enough, there are a few enough people that you're noticed if you're not there, and you're noticed when you get there, and it's noticed when you leave. And it, yeah, no, it's like you can, you can overanalyze, and if you're even if you're not overanalyzing, other people are overanalyzing. That's why it's just like <laughs> I just and, and like they give out free drink tickets. I don't drink anyway. Even if I did, I probably wouldn't. I don't know. I don't really want to be having a beer when I have to drive for an hour and a half back home after being up since five o'clock in the morning. But which is probably a good thing, though, not to drink too much when you're like there's some holiday party rules. I'm just going to throw them out there for our listeners, uh, because I just did a television spot on like what not to do at the office holiday party. Wow, that's awesome. So, number one, don't throw your phone at people. (laughs) Very true. Very true. Don't throw your phone at people. Uh, don't drink too much. It this and remember this is work party. This is not like if this is just a party with your friends, awesome, go to town. If this is a work party, you do not want to be the rumor and the gossip of your work party. <laughs> it sounds exciting, but, but it's it won't be. Don't do it. Um so that's one. Uh the next one is don't gossip. You again, this is still work. It's still work and someone's going to say something because you're drinking too much or you think you're too comfortable. And often that's what happens. People get too comfortable because it's the hallway party and they're like going to say, Oh, I can say whatever. It's going to come back and someone's going to be upset at you the next day. And you don't want that to happen. If it's possible, do not hook up with a colleague at your holiday party. Don't just don't do that again. Not a good idea. Um, Try to dress a little bit more formally than you would at your rockin' party that you're doing with your friends. Why, again, it's just, this is just to protect you. Someone will be interesting at whatever holiday party you're having for work. Someone will be interesting. So you're saying I shouldn't go shirtless with uh, elf boots and a an elf skirt. Well, you know what? It really depends on where you work. Like this okay. is, this is taken in consideration. If you work um, at a elf boot store, <laughs> right? And you go shirtless, and then maybe they'll be like, you know, but you're wearing the boots and everyone's happy. And that's right. great. This is great advertising. So there are some places that are exceptions to that rule. You know, throwing up on your boss, um, <laughs> getting into fights, um, you know, falling over, uh, gossiping about your secretary 
to her husband. It, these are things that get happen every single year to people, and it causes a lot of stress. And later you have to go in and see these people again. And you may be asking that person for a raise or working next to them. And so it's best to keep it a little shorter, sweet, don't have to stay for too long, probably is politically correct to show up for a moment if you can or let them know why you can't. And um, it's it's one of these things that, yeah, they can cause a lot of stress and anxiety going to your holiday party. But try to just, you know, watch your P's and Q's, smile, be polite, and escape. And, and it goes without saying that the opposite of all of that is true for the disruption holiday party. Yeah. Oh, well, for that, <laughs> yes. like, what we've already... Yeah, no, our parties that we have are the opposite of this. So, so uh, you know, you have heard a different a different voice on the show as Bree is continuing to uh, recover from from vocal surgery, and we're hoping that she's going to be in in full form next week. But so we have Tanya to pass for my need diverse games. So Tanya, why don't you tell uh, all of our listeners about you and I need diverse games and all the cool stuff that you're doing. Hey, Steve and Micah and Georgia. Uh, hello. Uh, um, so for those listening who may not know about what I do, I started I Need Diverse Games initially as a hashtag a couple years ago because I was legit mad about games at six in the morning one day. And from there, it's grown legs into its own community and now a nonprofit organization. As for all the stuff that I'm doing... I feel like this is the first time I've sat still in like a month. So I've been giving talks at, at studios. I had a chance to go talk at Ubisoft Montreal at ArenaNet up in Seattle. Um, been doing a lot of diversity consulting, a lot of speaking, luckily at conventions or unluckily, depending on the convention. And I'm already booked for stuff through next August. So this is probably the most you will hear of me except for my podcast. Um, which is a weekly show, and I've been lucky enough to have Steve and Georgia on. So, so Micah, you have to come on and join yeah. us. But you also um, have to talk it. about Final Fantasy if you go on, Micah, just fair warning. Oh, dear. Well, I've got some, <laughs> some research I need to do. <laughs> or or Boy Band Fantasy 15, as, as I like to call it. <laughs> uh, um, but, but good stuff. I'm actually going to get to speak at GDC next year, along oh, with awesome. Rebecca Cohen-Palacios about community management and diversity, and I get to go to Australia for the first time ever because I'm a guest of honor at GamerX Australia next April. Awesome. Sweet. Congratulations. I am uh, jealous. Watch out for koalas. They are very dangerous creatures. Yeah, especially with all the chlamydia that they spread, yeah. <laughs> yes, don't get me started, Ew. Steve. I will go on about <laughs> koalas for hours. Um, but before okay. I do any of that, uh, uh, so awesome to have you on the show. And now, before we break into our topics of this week, I'm going to tell you about our friends at Linode. So if you're wondering what the heck Linode is, then you obviously haven't been listening to Disruption because they are here almost every week and we love them. Linode is a combination of high-performance SSD Linux servers spread across eight data centers around the world. And that's what makes Linode a fantastic solution for your server infrastructure. You can get a server up and running in under a minute. Under a minute with plans starting at just $10 a month, which now gets you two gigabytes of RAM. You're going to be able to choose your resources, your Linux distro, your node location right from the manager tool. And once you're up and running, you can easily deploy, boot, and resize your virtual server with just 
a few clicks. So if you're wondering what the heck you can do with Linode and all that fancy schmancy stuff, well, you can run a private Git server, you can host large databases, you can run a mail server, you can operate powerful applications, and so much more with industry-leading native SSD storage and access to a 40 gigabit network. You're going to have all the power you need to get your tasks done. So as a listener of this very show, if you sign up at linode.com slash disruption, you're not only going to be supporting all of us as we talk about holiday parties and the like, but you're also going to get $20 towards any Linode plan. And let me remind you that plans start at $10. With a seven-day money-back guarantee, there's honestly nothing to lose. So please go to linode.com slash disruption. You can learn all about it. You can sign up and take advantage of that $20 credit. You can also just use the promo code disruption20 when you check out. Thank you so much to Linode for supporting our show and the network Relay FM. All right. So, so Micah, I don't yes. even need a server, but after that ad, I totally want to go buy one. I don't need one. <laughs> that so was like kind. the most convincing like pitch. <laughs> I have no need or space for one, but I'm like maybe I'll find a reason for it. He sounded so nice talking about Aww, it. Oh, that's yeah. so sweet. I uh yeah, I, I yeah, you need an email server, right? You want to run your own mail server and get mail at tanya.com i don't know uh, <laughs> oh boy well when, when i start my widget company i'm definitely hiring micah to do the ads and and the widget's not actually going to do anything but michael will convince people that it does <laughs> now, which is not to say that linode doesn't do anything because linode is awesome but my widget company will not do anything <laughs> i am ready for that challenge uh speaking of challenges let us talk about uh the standing rock movement um for those who don't know, uh, I would be surprised if you if you don't. Um, but the energy transfer partners have been trying to get these uh, the the Florida Access Pipeline passed through uh, the Standing Rock area, and there has of course been a movement. Um, that has involved, unfortunately, a lot of violence from uh, law enforcement and. Um, you know, peaceful protests and prayer and uh, the, something that I think that, you know, I hadn't known really and something that we hadn't necessarily paid attention to is kind of the story behind the people who are working at the Standing Rock movement and in particular, the awesome women who have been standing behind uh, the the Standing Rock movement. There are several women. There's, a, there's an article uh, from Jezebel. And we will, of course, include that in the show notes. And it talks about these different women and talks about all of the awesome things that they're doing. And, you know, one of the things that it says in the article is that women are actually the majority of the water protectors, the people who are there standing up against the ETP and others who have tried to uh, to come in and say that, you know, they're going to get this pipeline passed, which is called the black snake by the water protectors. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Let's let's open the floor and kind of talk about not all. I, I think that it's interesting. Like you know, we've heard this movement is happening, and we've heard both sides, and now we know that um, the Army Corps of Engineers has said, "Yo, let's not have this uh, happen." But I don't think that we've really gone into like personal stories so much. And I'm glad that Jezebel did this because there are some really incredible women uh, behind this entire thing. And and. They've they've been there, um, and and been fighting. So there's a lot of First Nations people all around the world. We in Canada, uh, Native Americans are they in Canada? They like to be called 
I'm First Nations just so that if I use those terms, that's what I mean. But this fight is so important. And I think that for a lot of people, they don't understand that the protection of water helps everyone. It doesn't just help people that are Native. It helps us all. And we really do need to be cognizant and careful with the way that we use our resources. And these women have dealt with, you know, threats, tear gas, rubber bullets, cold pressure hoses, arrests, forced strip searches, um, dog attacks, uh, intimidation tactics, and they still show up every day. There's males and, and other people that are helping as well, just so that I can get that out there as well. Yes, there's also men that are there um, as well, too. You don't really think about, like, what the people up there are doing. And, and you know, granted, the, the, the Native Americans who live up there are probably a little bit more used to the climate than, you know, people like us. But there was this also article on Jezebel that I came across a couple of days ago. Of somebody who just went up there to report on it, and it was called A Few Things I Learned About Going Outside in North Dakota in the Winter. And just going through, like, them acclimating to the climate, and it's like, well, nine degrees isn't that bad, but the wind chill is what, what, you know, makes you feel like your knives stabbing you in the face, and then your earwax will freeze, and... Uh, you know, people up there just drive like it's like it's nothing. And you're, you know, slipping just on your way across the street trying to buy beer because you're snowed into the hotel. And you, you're thinking about these people who are just staying out there 24 seven to fend off the the construction workers and then getting hit with water cannons on top of it. The tenacity and the the like words are even failing me of what, you know, what these people are are willing to do to protect their land is incredible and inspiring and and it's it's a shame the way that our country treats them and and repeatedly treats them and repeatedly i mean they move this they move this pipeline from bismarck to the native land because you know it was going to affect bismarck's water but you know moving it through the native american land is apparently okay well not anymore but it's just we just keep mistreating these people time and time again and they are they deserve our respect for sure well i just love the fact that they fight i think that so many people will sit down because this is it's horrible it's horrible and um i love that one of the organizers said that this is you know what through all of this the freezing the pushing winds the planes the snow drift she's like well this isn't my first rodeo like this is what Mm, i'm used to doing i'm used to having to always fight and I think that we often are more comfortable to sit at home and not fight. And we think that we have to let everyone else do that for us. And we are so fortunate there are people that are still willing to get up and fight for something that they stand for. Complacency is really high right now when we allow bad things to happen without a second thought because we don't want to leave the comfort. We don't want to deal with difficulty. We don't want to make a stand. We don't want to become targets and so these are like our shields that we use and then we get the benefits behind it. And I think that we all need to take more of a stand in our lives. Definitely. And it doesn't surprise me that women are at the forefront of it because a lot of movements, women have been the ones to kind of stand up and start and, and stay there. And, you know, as far as people ignoring the fact that it's Native and First Nations people, you know, we, our country's built on doing that. Look at how the country started 
So it is unsurprising to me at the disrespect that these folks have gotten, but I'm hoping, crossing fingers, that the stop order will do something and that, you know, people can go home peacefully. But I'm glad they're staying. I'm glad that they're not going, oh, we got this order. Okay, it's time to go home. And I'm really angry at the disrespect that a lot of people are going and they're just camping out and treating it like something to observe versus actually joining the fight and doing the work. Because that is such a privileged position to be in. They basically just go and observe people's suffering as some kind of, you know, academic or emotional exercise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that, seeing that, and even you know some people that I know or have known in the past, uh, seeing them kind of pop up in different places and not being there for the the right reasons, I guess. And it's 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 horrible because, especially because of the long history that we've had of disrespect toward Native Americans and toward these groups, and. Again, I think you you hit the nail on the head. It's the privileged position that they're in, that they can just go and, and quote unquote, you know, relax and just try to be there to be observing it and be a part of the spectacle, I guess, or be, you know, observing things as if it's a spectacle. And that's it's frustrating and wrong. And it detracts, too, from the actual uh, point of of these these happenings something uh, a good thing is that a lot of uh, the reason that people have been talking about it so i think that social media has done a really uh, made a really big footprint in letting people know that this is important and carried the movement along so that people could make a stand and say this is really important because if not for that and if the news organizations did not cover it it was a lot of this was covered because of um, I forget what her name is, but she covered the story and had video of the disrespectful ways that some officers were treating people. Many officers were very respectful and, and thoughtful and caring, but a lot of also the workers were being rude, disrespectful, not really caring, dismissive. And she she got into a lot of trouble, got a lot of flack from the police for that, but she still published it. And then people started to retweet that. People started to put it onto Facebook and it carried its movement because of that. And often this would have been swept under the rug. Yeah, I mean, if not for Twitter and, and other spaces, I wouldn't have heard about it because mm-hmm. there's not a lot on the news until it's gotten really big. Really big. And, you know, and someone who's not Native has been the one injured the most grievously. So that got a lot more play than the people have been out there for months fighting. Yeah. Yeah. And they often yeah. take the official report as opposed to what the, the protesters are saying to the, yeah. when the news reports it. So you yes. don't necessarily get both sides of the story when it's being reported on mainstream news. Yes. Yeah. And I think that uh, Twitter and Facebook play – well, Twitter, Facebook, other – things play large, large, large roles in any of these sort of movements. And, you know, anytime we want to hear from the the side that is, you know, is not the mainstream, it almost always is going to be coming from one of these independent services like Twitter and like Facebook, as opposed to uh, what's showing up on the news. And it's very rare, at least, that the whole story, I guess, the the entire picture gets told there. And so, 
you know, and and for newer media organizations and things like that, um, speaking specifically from uh, the place that I used to work for, uh, Newsy, that is one of the sources that we would always be looking at uh, in, in these cases and oftentimes finding out information um, early and, you know, trying to compile those things into the whole picture. So I do think that uh, Twitter and Facebook and other social media sites are hugely important. And I think that's why, especially like whenever I hear about, you know, Twitter and, and all of the, the troubles that it's having and, you know, staying open and staying alive, those things worry me because honestly, I've found more truth at least from these groups that are not the mainstream on Twitter than I ever have on Facebook, because as we know, Facebook is full of lies, full of lies. But that kind of that kind of leads us into the other thing that, you know, we were going to talk about in terms of how the news gets reported, which is this this dust up that happened with uh, with Google this week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve, I'd actually if you would like to to summarize uh, what's going on here, um, I would much appreciate it. I th- oh, okay. Yeah, no, that, that's fine. I can I can kind of sum it up. So there was this article on The Guardian that was talking about what happens when you start looking at, like, the first autocomplete answers when you type into Google. So, you know, whenever you – and, I mean, if you're listening to the show, you know this, but in case you happen to be one of the three people who does, hasn't used Google in the last five years, and God bless you – um, <laughs> so when you start typing in a search term into Google, it will start offering you suggestions based on what you've typed. So this person had started typing A-R-E space J-E-W-S. It came back with, are Jews a race? Are Jews white? Are Jews Christians? Are Jews evil? And it was the are Jews evil link that, first of all, seems kind of dangerous for Google to be suggesting especially at this point in time, uh, when you're typing that phrase in and then brings you when you when you unfortunately click on that to a whole bunch of of links from anti-Semitic and and neo-Nazi sites, um, the top 10 major reasons why people hate Jews. Um, you know, one of them is on Stormfront, which, you know, and there's another one is a YouTube video, why the Jews are evil, why we're against them. It's it's a matter of what kind of responsibility a company like Google or like Facebook or like Twitter, unless less Twitter, because they're just kind of they're not really curating these things. But, you know, when Google is offering these things, like what kind of responsibility do they have? Because Google is the primary source of information for a lot of people. And I don't I'm not saying that this is necessarily anything, you know, malicious on Google's part, but when you know people who run these sites have managed to work the system the way that they have to get that into the autocomplete suggestions and then spread this kind of this kind of disgusting rhetoric that is not based in reality. Um, and and is just is 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 directly harmful to a group of people, and it's not just Jews. That's just the one that they that they laid that they let off with. But there's also are women evil? They, you type are Muslims is, are Muslims bad? You know, and that leads you to things that Islam is bad for society. Um, one of them led to a link with ten reasons why Hitler was one of the good guys. Like stuff like this that is just disgusting and disturbing. And, and it, so I guess that opens up the question of like. What kind of 
responsibility, especially given the election that we just went through, do these companies have to not just sit on the sidelines and let this stuff happen? And now Google, to their to their credit, by the way, I, I should say up front, has removed those uh, those autocorrects. So that doesn't happen anymore. You won't see that now. But like it shouldn't take an article like this to get that to happen. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing is that it seems with all of these companies, it takes some terrible, terrible thing to happen before anyone reacts. And I know I shouldn't be surprised about that, but it it's upsetting at the very least. I mean, we saw Reddit try to, you know, go back after it was finally enough, uh, enough terribleness to actually do something. We see it with Twitter who can, you know, which continues to fail at trying to, uh, make things better. And Facebook with all of the fake news and, you know, Mark Zuckerberg basically saying, no, 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 no. There's no way that Facebook had any sort of influence on anything ever at any time. And all of these companies, either a deny it like facebook or b are well and then you know they they have put in some policies or whatever but it takes these these things to happen before there's ever any reaction and you would think that uh you'd have some proactive companies but again uh i guess i shouldn't be surprised right no and and i think there is a responsibility there because as we know just because someone finds something on the internet they may not take that next step and go is this real is this not real (laughs) yeah um, you know, we've all got the relative that sends out the chain email and turns out it's it's nowhere near true. But now this is on a bigger scale. People use Google all day, every day. And I wish there was some way to kind of go, hey, just so you know, this, this site may not be reputable. Like some kind of indicator, something like that. Because without that critical step of going, this seems a little weird. This seems strange and not right. Maybe I should make sure it's actually a true story. And and I've fallen for clickbaity titles. I'm I'm not perfect by any means, but it's about the lead versus the content now. And you know, look at the way that people will will spit back ridiculous stories. You know, with a hundred percent conviction that it's absolutely right, mm-hmm. without without any kind of fact checking. Look at the way that rumors spread quickly on the internet and things like that, or the way that you you can talk to someone on Twitter and they'll be nine hundred percent, you know, sure that whatever weird fact or fake fact or fake story they're they're trying to push on you is is correct. With we don't have a lot of critical thinking. We don't have a lot of stepping back and going, is this accurate? And you know, if Google's going to be this big source, you know, great that they took out those kind of autofills. But people need to be, I think, retaught critical thinking and critical analysis of something, especially before they go sharing it or, or putting it out there. Like, yeah, I saw this, and isn't it and isn't it real? Or actually reading things before they comment on it. We've all had those conversations where someone <laughs> shares an article, they share something, or they they want to talk to you about something after they've only skimmed it without getting the context. And, yeah. and that's how that happens. No, I agree. I agree with you completely, Tanya. I think that I, I think that Google. It's not enough just to have Google fix uh, and and curate. I think that that could even cause a certain amount of problems. I'm happy that they tried to do something to stop uh, hateful speech coming out through Google, but that's that is not that's that's too little of a step. I think that what we really need is that, like, the United States needs to have free education. It's it's 
like just straight forward period. You need to have free education. I'm not talking about high school. I'm talking about all the way to university or really highly subsidized because what happens is, is that as Tanya was saying, you need to be able to learn to think critically. That's a skill. That is not something that we do naturally. Naturally, we're mimics and we believe whatever our family of origin tells us. So if you have a family of origin that teaches you to think critically, awesome. To look into things, to not just accept what is put out there, that's great. But if not, then we end up with a group of population that can be exceptionally easily swayed by emotional arguments, by people that shout the loudest. And that can be exceptionally dangerous because you can be easily more swayed. People that run live-in dictatorships, they always hope that their people are uneducated. Why? They are easier to control. They're easier to place wherever they're you know, going to be placed. They have less chance of being overthrown because of that. Because like, there's certain discussions and certain things that you need to have a certain amount of knowledge to have that discussion with. And so we're actually cutting out a whole section of society because they cannot have this conversation. They will not call someone out on it. And if, for those that think of themselves, so sometimes I think of myself as, like, yeah, I, I think I think usually pretty critical, and I still get caught, as Tanya said, on a clickbait article or something that, you know, I tweet something out and then someone calls me and says, like, actually, Georgia, like, you had to look into that a little bit more because of this. And I'm like, oh, I fell for it. And, you know, I've gone through, like, like just way too much school, and I fall for that. We need to be able to help everyone have the tools to be able to battle for things that are trying to persuade us, for emotional arguments with no substance behind that, so that we can all have this dialogue together. Because I don't want to have Google tell me what should come up and what shouldn't come up. I want to be able to teach myself and my kids to look at it, because it's not just Google, it's the person on the street corner, it's that teacher that you have, it's it's Uncle Elmer and Aunt Thelma who <laughs> like say these things to us. I want my kids to be able to grow up and say, you know what, they said this, that doesn't ring true to me. I'm going to look into this. I'm going to think about it before I form an opinion, not just form it with the person that's the loudest, and I will stop ranting. <laughs> Well, I think it was very well said, yeah. that rant. <laughs> yeah. It was a very good rant, Georgia. Yeah, it was, Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's it's hard for me not to look at this personally, given given how much I've studied of history and given what some of these things are saying. It really doesn't take much to start, you know, a group of people from fearing another group of people irrationally. But don't you think, Steve, that that is because that – that people like you know people when you're you're fear based if you don't have any knowledge behind that yeah sure sorry just yeah no um, I, no I I, I <laughs> agree with you but I think that to some extent there's always going to be there's always going to be people who are not going to just be able to think critically like we can try to teach them and some people are just aren't going to get it but that we shouldn't be sending them in a direction either. You know, anti-Semitism has like a long and rich storied history of the different things that they accuse Jews of doing to justify the things that they would do to do to us. I mean, starting from blood libel, which is basically one one priest decided that a Jew had killed a Christian baby to get blood to make for matzah for Passover. And then that was yeah, that's that's blood libel. That's a, a thing that has been 
that the Jews have been accused of for a long time. And to this day, that's still some people believe that. Um, the, they blame the Black Death on us that we poisoned the well and started the Black Death. Like, things like that. Like, it doesn't take much to, you know, to to make a group another and then justify mm-hmm. justify violence or other things to them. Now, I was going to say, you know, it's it's not just critical thinking. It's not the ability to question what you read. It's also what people pass down. Because um, I used to work at a university, and and the person who was in charge of of kind of religious studies and and the religious student group, she told me of people who who in that year of 2015 had run across folks who still believe that Jews had tails and horns. Yeah, and I was like, yeah. What? That's a thing that happens. People believe there are people who believe that I physically have horns that my Unkempt, currently unkempt and in need of a haircut hair it, are concealing. Lord have and mercy. That is that is literally a thing that people believe. It's and I it sounds ridiculous, but people actually I, I know people who have been asked where their horns were. Like Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's it, you know, this is this is tw- you know, twenty thirty, you know, years and years ago. I've never had it happen to me. We've gone back and forth about my distrust of Google in general, and I think this is the reason that I am this distrustful of Google in general. It's not that I think that Google, by amassing all the information that they do, is them are themselves going to do something malicious with that data. It would be monumentally stupid of them. They make a business based on the fact that people are willing to give them their data in exchange for services. And for them to violate that trust intentionally would be suicide. But they also are very sure of their algorithms and are not and and their algorithms aren't published. And it's very possible, like in this case, for these algorithms to be gamed and taken advantage of for nefarious means. And that's clearly what's what's happening. There's a there's a network of these sites and you can go into this into this article and look at the you know, the second half of this talks about how they're using the same kinds of trackers that cause if you search for something on Amazon, if you search for like a towel hanger on Amazon, you will see ads for that towel hanger for like three or four days. Mm-hmm. That yeah. those same trackers are being yeah. used to collect information about the people who are visiting those sites, and then potentially, you know, you know, use that information to be able to to micro target them. And this is something that Google is not doing anything about. Clearly, they are putting themselves up and, and you know, justifiably so as like the source for information. And the fact that they're not they're taking a hands off that this is just the stuff that's out there is, I think, at this point, given what we've seen, is irresponsible. And it's very possible, given the amount of data that they collect and, and the amount of data that they aggregate, that it can be manipulated and gamed to, uh, you know, to just gently affect how somebody thinks and feels and that's scary as hell and that's that's one of the reasons that i regardless of how many headphone jacks they take off the iphone i'm not willing to go over to android because i just don't want to give google that kind of access to my information because i don't know how it's going to be used not necessarily by google but by other people once they have once once they have more access to that i i think that 
but I think and I think that if Google wants to continue to collect all this information, they need to show some show more social responsibility in that in that regard. It's a very interesting and kind of um, scary, scary. Like I don't, I do not want to have to be the person that's in charge of deciding yeah. how uh, to take action like that because it can be, um, you know, a good thing or a bad thing, and it could very easily be taken advantage of in a negative way um, in terms of trying to quote unquote police the content or try to to make sure that these sites aren't able to um, mislead the population. And so I certainly do not envy the individual who is responsible for or individuals who are responsible for coming up with how, you know, we move forward and how these companies figure out how to filter or not filter, because that would be a very tough gig, not even necessarily like the the mechanics of it, but more so the morals of it and the um, slippery slopes of it. It's uh, this sounds sounds challenging. Yeah, it, it is challenging. But I mean, the alternative is that, like, I mean, we talk about Skynet on the show, but this is Skynet. This mm-hmm. is what's you know what I mean? Like this is like not to say that, you know, all of a sudden, you know, killer robot toasters are going to come in and march into our houses. <laughs> but at the same Darn. time, like this is this is the potential for a an algorithm just kind of gone awry. And it may be, you know, we don't know how many people at Google really understand how the how the thing works at this point. See, and here's the thing is that Steve is a computer programmy whiz and so when steve says these things it actually carries weight so i might be shaking in my uh tennis shoes right now because you know there there are people who could say that who have no idea but you literally work with this kind of stuff all day every day so it's a little terrifying right and and i mean like i joke about hollowing out a tree and buying nonstick tinfoil to make hats out of um but i mean it's there's clearly uh you know an a disinterest on the part of Google to moderate the stuff that's there, which is understandable, but it also has potential to be abused. And it looks like this is one way that it's doing it in a way that's very scary for for all of us on this show in one way or another. Yeah. All of us fall into one of the groups that was had one of those autocompletes at the beginning of that article. Yeah. And this is how misinformation spreads, too. I mean, people – there are a lot of people who just believe whatever they read on the internet and – it's very easy to spread in a very systematic way. So Yes, and if you already have an unconscious bias, you'll be yep. more inclined to believe something than you see more often, period. We, we know that's why advertising works. <laughs> Sorry. Ooh, okay, you know, something not to be scared about, uh, something that always puts a smile on my face. <laughs> this episode of Disruption is brought to you by our dear friends at Smile. I just love Smile. This holiday season, by giving someone the gift of a Smile product, you'll be giving them the most precious gift of all. Can anyone guess what the most precious gift of all is? It's time! More time! Oh, I thought you it was help- a dog. That that's that is my most precious gift of all. But like the universal <laughs> precious gift is time, and Smile can give you more time to play with dogs. You can help your friends, your colleagues, and your loved ones save time by giving them a text expander subscription, and you can even get them up to speed quickly by sharing some of your own snippet groups. So if you've got some special handy little features that you know they can use, then you can share them over, and they can get started so quickly. You can help you can help those you know wrangle PDFs with ease using PDF Pin on the Mac, and with PDF Pin, they're going to be able to 
to scan, OCR, edit, and even export into Word format. And PDF Pin, look, it is the Swiss army knife for PDFs. Everybody loves to open a Swiss Army knife on Christmas or whatever holiday you choose to celebrate. And this one is a Swiss Army knife for PDFs. For those you know that live their lives on the go, give PDF Pin for iPad and iPhone or PDF Pin Scan Plus using the Gift This App function on the App Store. If you want more information, you just go to smilesoftware.com slash disruption. And guess what? While you're there, go check out the new Text Expander blog. You're going to find out more about Text Expander public groups. You're going to find out new snippet keys and Text Expander for iPhone and iPad, and you can even get your hands on some smile stickers, which, by the way, I have received, and they are awesome, and I did smile. So thank you so much to Smile. We love you, and thank you for supporting our show. It, it saves me a ton of time at work, I mean, especially um you know when you're dealing with you know i don't have Killer to deal robot with toasters well yes that too yeah. um you know you, when you have to when you have to respond to a lot of uh, a lot of support tickets and it's it's a lifesaver just you know when you have to when you have a known solution to a problem and you can just type like six characters and send an email as opposed to having to you know type out this three paragraph thing to explain how to get around this problem that isn't going to get fixed but there's a workaround like that that gives that literally gives you hours of your day back it's not an exaggeration i i want to get it and i don't even use like I, just so that i can do that just so that i can have this is how to treat this, and I can just poof and have it all there. Whenever I tweet you a terrible dad joke, you can just put into text expander, you know, whatever your three uh, your three responses that that your your three non condescending responses to get me to stop making more dad jokes at you on Twitter, and put those into text expander. Just rotate through them. I like that. I like that. See, there's many uses to this. Yes. <laughs> Yes, a text expander can uh, – I, I like to use it. There's a little get off my lawn emoji combination that I like to do um, whenever someone says that I'm being an old man. Uh, so maybe I should send that to you too, Steve. Yeah, no, well, you... I have the table flip, which is my version of that. So, you know, the emoji the, – the, the text emoji table flip. Yes, and there's actually one that uh, is of like a little person putting the table back over, which I think is hilarious. But <laughs> I have a question for all of you. Mm-hmm. Do you remember <laughs> gadgets? <laughs> I do. I remember those those little widgets and gadgets and gidgets? Gidgets yes. like like yes, the I like do. the Surfer Show? No, <laughs> no, not the Surfer Show. Um, apparently. Apparently, the gadget apocalypse is upon us, says the New York Times, says Farhad Manju, and we are going to be waving goodbye to gadgetry. So, you know, when you think of a gadget, you're thinking of uh, either Inspector Gadget or (laughs) tiny wristwatches and uh, I don't know, what else is a gadget? A transistor radio and a... A leveler for your house, uh, little little pieces of technology. <laughs> they must be this gadgets move, must be dead because it was really hard for him to find some yeah, gadgets to put into what is a gadget. I mean, I don't know about you. I'm still feeding my Tamagotchi daily. So oh, well, oh, I love so, my Tamagotchi. You are single handedly really. keeping the gadget. Uh, gadget industry alive. Uh, basically, a quick summary of this article is uh, that you know when when 
iPhones and uh, smartphone, other smartphones and tablets and things like that started to come out, and they were multi-use devices. The world of the gadget slowly started to die, and then we kind of saw a reuptick, and we saw you know Kickstarter campaigns and things like that, and uh, the Pebbles and the Fitbits of, of our era uh, growing. But even those are you know going away too. We Fitbit picked up uh, Pebble, and Pebbles like shutting down. Shuttering and, and Fitbit's not doing so hot, and then you've got uh, Nest, which isn't doing so hot. There are all of these gadgets out on the market, and you know you've got literal websites built around "give us money and we'll build these things for you." But a lot of it is not successful, and the ones that are more successful get kind of uh, picked up by big companies, and sometimes they get to continue to exist, and sometimes they just fade into the background. And it's almost as if you know you take. 12 to 15 streams of gadgets like coming along on a conveyor belt and it goes into three different boxes and those boxes are like Apple and Samsung and I don't know, insert third box here. And they take those technologies and like combine them together and just make one thing and then it does a lot of stuff for us. And all the other companies are just kind of not doing so hot. Uh, yeah, that that's the basic uh, premise of the article. And I'm curious... Does everyone else think gadgets are are dying, are dead, are already gone? What what's what are your thoughts? I think that we should first have a moment of silence <laughs> for gadgets everywhere. Okay, that's fair. Now we can continue on. Now we no, can continue on. We've given the rightful moment to gadgets. Uh, I think it's a bit silly. There's always going to be a need for like a pocket knife or something, you know, like a mini USB keyboard you can throw in your backpack. I, I, other than my phone, there's still things that I need to carry with me. Like I, I carry a USB hub. I need other minor technology that isn't just going to go poof. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this whole idea of, oh my God, gadgets are over. It, it's just a bit silly. It's, you know, I love my iPhone for the most part. But it literally cannot do everything I needed to do. There are still some small gadgets I need to carry with me or to have on hand. Like, for instance, I am staring at a keyboard that attaches to my PlayStation 4 controller. To me, that's a gadget, and I need it because I hate typing with the PlayStation 4 um, thumbstick when I'm trying to do stuff online with, with the PS4. So, you know, that is a gadget that I need and somebody made it, and I bought it. So I just think it, that whole that panic about gadgets are going away and small, useful technologies are going away is just a bit silly because there was the opposite article of, no, actually, gadgets are not over. So what is it? You know, pick, pick a thing. Are gadgets gone or are they not gone? Gadgets are dead. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> Fully disagree. I don't use any. I don't see anyone any around. Um, As you look around your room well, and probably see hundreds no, of gadgets. No, in fairness, those are all things that belong to Renee. <laughs> right, right. That's, that's, <laughs> that's true. Stolen gadgets, that's why they're dead. Um, no, I, I think I think gadgets are not dead. I, don't, I think that, yeah, it's sad when big companies swallow up smaller companies. And I think that maybe it's more of a speaking of, you know, modern innovation and small businesses. It's more difficult just because you have a great idea. Big business is going to buy you out and you offer me a billion dollars. I'm selling whatever it might be that I have for a billion dollars mm-hmm. because that sounds great. 
But projects such as Kickstarter, um, Patreon funds, other things allow us to be able to start something and have the funding to be able to do that. And so because of that, I think that gadgets are always going to be around. I think that there's now with 3D printing and computer technology, it's easier to create than it was beforehand. Plus there's crowdsourcing, plus there's a social media to be able to advertise. So I think that it was probably much more difficult to create and innovate and start a company than it is today. Yeah, but I and I think that there is something to be said that the bar is a little bit higher. Um, is like, it? I don't. Is I, it I higher? It, I, I have there's a whole bunch of selfie sticks that I see lying around. Well, yeah, and they're lying around. And how many people have bought a selfie stick lately? But I, you know, it's. I think that there's there's a <laughs> the the fact is that our smartphones still do a lot, right? And so. I think the question that gets asked is not, you know, is this useful, but is does this do something better than my phone does? I mean, that's the reason I don't own a smartwatch is because I looked at the Apple Watch. I asked a lot of people. I think I asked everyone on this show. I asked a number of people, you know, even on Relay, what they're using it for. I've used people outside. I've asked a lot of people when I was looking at it, like, what are you really using it for? And a lot of the answers came down to, well, notifications and fitness tracking. And that those seem to be the use cases for it, which if you have a real need to triage your notifications or you are really serious about tracking your fitness, then that's a valid use case. But that's not going to sell iPhone numbers. You know what I mean? And and it sounds like from some conflicted reporting, the the Apple Watch may or may not be selling iPhone numbers and and Lenovo just got out of the the smartwatch business. So clearly... This may be one of those things like the iPod that only Apple can serve, can can sustain. And even then, like the iPod business is not what the iPhone business ever was either. So, you know, there is something to be said for can this do with something better than my phone? But there's also the you know, we've also been through this with games before, too, where like four years ago, Nintendo was like people were digging a grave for Nintendo because People could play games on their iPhones, and what do we need consoles for? There's something to be said for for a lot of people. What your phone can do will be good enough. Like in my case, whatever fitness tracking I was doing and whatever notifications I need, it's fine for me to deal with all that on my phone. I don't need a watch. For other people, that's not the case. But and it's the same thing with games, where you know a number of people may be very satisfied with what you can play on your iPhone. And other people are going to want something different than that. And for those people, it's worth the $300 to go buy a console or the $150 to buy a 3DS or whatever it happens to be. But that's just going to be fewer people than there were before iPhones existed. I try to think about the like the normal user here, yeah. which I do not consider myself to be. So, you know, I look to uh, – you can literally see my childhood home right now and I'm thinking of how – you know, I, I try to think of how they are using gadgets, my family and my siblings, my mom, and what it would look like there. And, you know, one of the biggest industries other than other, like one of the biggest gadget industries other than the smartphone is the audio, the portable audio, uh, you know, business. <laughs> and that includes 
Bluetooth speakers, it includes headphones, it includes all of that stuff. And those gadgets I don't think are going anywhere. And those are the the ones that I see the most in terms of just like normal everyday people using those kinds of gadgets. Because like I could go down the list and name all of the crap that I have that I probably don't need and some stuff that I really do feel like I need. And I've got a you know plenty of gadgets, but this is also what I do for a living. And also I'm just a ridiculous human who likes this stuff. But, you know, I consider I consider headphones a gadget. I consider um, a Beats pill a gadget. And those things are things that they really do adore and enjoy and use every day. And I don't think those are going anywhere. So I, I get kind of where this article is coming from in terms of um, some of the more some of the newer and sort of ridiculous stuff, like some of the smart home stuff. Yeah. But you know, while that might still not quite be popular with the everyday person, I think it's just because it's in its infancy and there's still time for those things to to grow in popularity. And doggone it, if I have to be the one leading the, the charge into home automation, then I will do it. But I know Steve will be standing against me. Um, mm. But yeah, I think, you know, there's stuff out there that is gadgetry that normal people use i don't think it's yeah. going anywhere well and there's also something to be said for cost too like a, you know an apple watch is still not an inexpensive endeavor and you need to be really sure that you're going to get use out of that i mean we just talked last week about you know the amount of budget that uh you know a triple a console game can take up i mean imagine how much like an apple watch is for most people really who aren't like gadget nerds that's a lot of money you know the more money that it costs the more it has to really change your life. Like a lot of the reason that smartphones have become as ubiquitous as they are is because they're subsidized by the cell phone companies. That makes it kind of the tool that you have. I, but I mean, I think there's a lot of things that are, would be considered gadgets. Like there's a lot of, you know, inexpensive Bluetooth headphones that are, that are becoming very popular right now. And I mean, I, I just bought this thing. I, I, I've just been basically looking for an excuse to talk about this thing because it's ridiculous, but I love it. It's this, this like, this, you planned this, you planned this just so that you could I, I speak about this it. Whole now we know. 20 minute discussion for that. No, I, I got this thing at GameStop called the piggy, I think. And it's piggy. like this. Yeah. It's like this little silicone, silicone like thing that's got like a suction cup on the end of it and it's got like little feet it looks like a pig oh my god is this that the, the thing that like the the head of the pig is a suction cup yes yeah and oh my so, god steve it's awesome i saw this i did i saw this it's amazing so basically it's it's like the the head looks like the cone of shame and <laughs> and so you 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 press it into the back of your phone and then you put it down horizontally and now it's like a little stand for your iphone that just fits in your pocket and then you pull it off and you walk away. So, Tanya, when I'm watching your stream, when I have it on at my desk, that's I've got it propped up on that thing. And then, oh, cool. And then that's how I'm that's how I'm watching it. So it's kind of just like sitting there in front of me. And that's usually what I'll when I have like Twitch up on my phone. Like that's usually how it's done. So it, it's but that's like a stupid two two dollar thing that I just randomly stumbled upon at GameStop because I was at GameStop, I guess, getting Pokemon distributions. But I think there, things like that are still happening. And those kinds of things that are cheap may not make the front page of gizmodo but there's still something that's like this thing is not a big deal but it, it kind of improved my life a little bit you know and made it more fun yeah i hear you and i think that there's always going to be a place as long as we can support and fund and we are like you know if people innovate i'm interested you know something's flashy and blinks or has sparkles i'm like ooh, what is that so right <laughs> i have to check it out yeah 
So we might have given a moment of silence, but we probably don't. I don't think any of us think that gadgets are dead yet. Apple, you know, smartwatches maybe, but not gadgets. I don't even think smartwatches are are dead. <laughs> no, I don't think I don't think they're dead either. But I think that they they may they may have hit their peak market. I think a lot of people who I think most of the people, unless they start coming down significantly in price, I think that most of the people who want one probably just have one already. Yeah, exactly. I agree. And they I don't. They're, it's not the kind of thing like a phone where you're gonna buy one every year. Yeah, because I mean, what yeah. are you going to add to it, right? Like maybe you yeah. add you add GPS, you add you know maybe you add a cell phone radio eventually, but it's not like the iPhone where like it was like a major improvement like every year. Like yeah. okay, well we finally got the the speed up to par. Now we're adding a Retina screen, but it's just like the the big improvement for the Apple Watch was well you can swim with it. Yeah, and it, it's that's not a big enough improvement for most people to want to repurchase. It wasn't enough for me. And it's not even the kind of thing that might take somebody who was who didn't already have one that would kind of push them over the edge. Like, oh, this is the thing I was waiting for to buy it. You know what I mean? So right. And the GPS, I know, like the GPS for some people, yes. Um, like runners who are just waiting for them to finally come out with one that they could, you know, run with and it would track them. But yeah, for the most part, it was not uh, not anything that was good enough to keep people. Uh, or to to bring back like the old users and you know if you were thinking about getting an Apple Watch and you finally got around to I, like having the money or something like that then yeah you get the latest and greatest one and you're happy about it because it does some cool new stuff but for the most part it's like uh, for me at least I was like uh, not not enough for me to want to spend the five hundred dollars or whatever it is right. um, over what yeah. I have right now so yeah, yeah. um. Yeah, so gadgets are not exactly dead, but kind of, and some of them are, <laughs> some of them aren't. Well, uh, I think that just about covers it. Um, if you would like to get in touch and leave us some questions, uh, because we would love to answer them on the show, then here's how you can do that. You can call us at 508-418-3532. That's 508-418-3532 to leave us a voicemail. You can tweet us at underscore disruption FM with the hashtag disrupt me. That'll make sure that it goes to the right place. Or you can send us a direct message if you'd rather keep things private and anonymous. Do let us know if we can use your name on the show. Otherwise, we will default to leaving you anonymous. Please go rate and review the show on iTunes. A quick note, you don't even have to write an entire review, though we do love those. You can just hop in there, log in real quick. If you have Touch ID, it's going to be even faster. Hit those stars and you're done. So yeah, you don't have to write an actual review whenever you rate the show, which is helpful whenever you're in a hurry or you don't feel like sitting down and writing a whole thing or typing it on your phone or your PlayStation controller, unless you have a keyboard <laughs> like Tanya. Uh, thank you so much to Relay, of course, and... And you can find our show notes at relay.fm slash disruption. That's where you'll get a hold of all those articles we talked about today. If you're looking for me online, you can find me at most places at Micah Sargent. Steve, where can people find you? All right. Well, you can find me. If Tanya bugs me enough, you will find me streaming Hearthstone. And hopefully I will start doing that again because I want to. Yay. Um, I want to share my Dragon Priestess with everybody. Um, but in the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at WickedGood. And Tanya, we want to give us some plugs and let us know where you can be found. Uh, for the most part, you can find me on Twitter at Cypher of Tear, and that's C-Y-P-H-E-R-O-F-T-Y-R, or in my alter ego of I Need Diverse Games, which is 
I need D-I-V-G-M-S. Um, my own site, my own podcast, which is Fresh Out of Tokens. So, so Micah, we need to get you on as a guest. Yes, absolutely. Uh, um, so yeah, freshoutoftokens.simplecast.fm. So Twitter is probably the fastest and easiest way to get a hold of me. And if you are a game types person and want to talk about diversity, you know, hit me up over it. I need I need div games on Twitter. Awesome. And Georgia Dow, where can people find you? So uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's at Georgia underscore Dow. You want to shoot me an email. It's Georgia at imore.com. And if you're dealing with anxiety, depression, sleep issues, check out anxiety-videos.com. All right. That is all. All that's left is for Steve to say that thing he says every week. So, Steve, take it away. Gadgets are dead and the show is over. Go listening to something else. Bye.